to Squatch Ranger Files, episode 58. I'm the Squatch Ranger himself, Ryan, and this is our February episode. Haven't been on here since January. It's February 12th when I'm recording this episode. Not quite sure when it's going to come out, but later this week. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Uh, Rewinding a little bit, the groundhog did see a shadow, so six more weeks of winter. That makes a lot of sense here in Oklahoma. A couple weeks ago, we had a bunch of snow and ice throughout the state. It shut some schools down. We didn't go to school for a few days, stuff like that. It's always really exciting when that kind of weather happens because the native Oklahoma Bigfoot Research Organization, we sometimes tend to get some messages and pictures of people finding tracks in the snow and stuff like that. That didn't really happen this year, but it's always an exciting time of year when it does happen because definitely be on the lookout for tracks because it's easier to spot them when you have snow and such. It is episode 58. I'm glad to bring this to you. Just a couple of announcements. The show has expanded to the Anchor platform. We are very excited to be here. Anchor helps the show reach Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. We hope to grow our audience and are able to continue to bring you the latest Bigfoot reports from around the country. The show has also been added to the Amazon Music app under the podcast section. We are also very excited to be a part of the Amazon community. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. You are now an official Squatch Ranger. Your duties include have an open mind, ask questions, trust but confirm, and always seek the truth. 
Thanks for joining the show. Okay, real quick, I want to invite you guys to check out the latest YouTube video on the Squatch Ranger YouTube channel. It's called Stinchcomb MLK Weekend Hike. So the No Bro team, we went out the day before Martin Luther King Day, and we hiked Stinchcomb, and we checked on some stick structures that we found about a year ago. Checked on them. Most of them looked about the same. Found a couple of possible new structures, and then found a single track at the back of the park. And then at the very, very end of our hike, at the very end of the day, we checked the marsh area right by the parking lot of Stinchcomb Wildlife Refuge in Oklahoma City. And we found several, several tracks. And it's a really cool video. You need to check out the very end of the video and look at those tracks that we found. It was almost like Mother Nature casted, made our own casts of the track. I'm going to let you watch the video to see how that happened, but it's really cool. And I actually have a souvenir that I brought home and didn't have to use any casting material from our kits. So check that video out. Once again, it's Stinchcomb MLK Weekend Hike. And also, we walked around with our eyewitness, and he showed us the exact spot where he saw the Stinchcomb Shadow. Very cool. Alright, moving on to listener comments from a previous episode. This is Squatch Ranger Files, episode 57. And Warren H. says, I fully agree with your theory on Sasquatch and Europeans. As for the rogue Sasquatch in Oklahoma, I could see it. So many reports in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, also, Red Dirt Cryptid Investigation says, Most excellent artwork. Thank you, Red Dirt Cryptids. I appreciate that. We do try to provide some good artwork to complement the reports as we read them. Okay, this one uh, was actually emailed in. This is actually a comment that was emailed to me from Sundoggy51. He says, Hey, Squatch Ranger, good morning. I have been an on and off listener for a long time and never made a comment. I, too, am a Bigfoot believer. This morning I'm listening to episode 57 and am blown away by your cougar section. I had to stop the show to write you immediately because of my excitement. And I have also theorized about cougars passing through Oklahoma. I have been studying giants for a long time. Giants from the biblical stories to the stories from the American West. Your theory on the cougars is spot on. I do think they are seasonal travelers throughout Oklahoma. Maybe not every year, but do frequent Oklahoma passing through. I have thought so from a young age. When I was in high school during the late 60s, living in Northwest Oklahoma, there were stories circulating through the community about a large animal. People described it as an animal about the size of a large dog or wolf, but its tail was long, about the length of its body, and it carried its tail low, almost dragging the ground with the tip slightly turned up. The animal's face or nose was short, more like a cat than dog but the color was midnight black. People heard it during the night, and the sound was like a woman screaming bloody murder. I myself heard the scream several nights just outside my bedroom window. 
And then several months later, I actually caught a glimpse of it crossing State Highway 11. It looked exactly as described. People also were reluctant to say anything in public. This animal hung around the area for several months, maybe a year. Then the reports just stopped. And one last thing, the game rangers laughed about it and said there was no such thing as black panthers or cougars in Oklahoma. Keep up the good work, Sundoggy51. Okay, so that comes from Sundoggy51. Thank you so much for emailing me and writing that. Very good stuff there. Yes, so in my last episode, I did kind of reference how the game wardens, they kind of say and they won't admit that there's mountain lions in Oklahoma, a, like, permanent population. There might be some here or there. Uh, what I mentioned in the last episode was 11 confirmed sightings. So they don't really want to admit there's mountain lions in Oklahoma. So, But a lot of people know that they're at least passing through and seeing them on their game cameras and eyewitness reports firsthand. If you have an encounter story to share with us, please email me at squatchranger at gmail.com. I would love to feature your story on this program. Alright, moving on. So my next segment has to do with how can Sasquatch survive in the coldest of temperatures? Okay, so bear with me. We're going to have a little bit of a segment here on that, and then I'll get into the Bigfoot reports. But kind of what inspired this was, well, in Oklahoma, about every February, it's right around February time, we have a week to two weeks of snow and ice. It's pretty consistent. It doesn't happen every year, but it's pretty consistent that in February, we're going to have a week to two weeks of snow or ice or both, and school will get let out, that type of thing. So it's been cold lately in Oklahoma. Um couple weeks ago it was very cold so this made me think okay I need to do a segment on how are Sasquatch surviving in the coldest of temperatures and I've had a conversation with one of my Bigfoot friends Red Dirt Cryptids Investigations Brian Terrell he probably doesn't even remember us talking about it but at one of our campout weekends we were talking and how how can a Sasquatch survive in the coldest of temperatures And so, oh, I'm going to put this meme up. There's a meme, a funny meme going around. It says, if you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. And it's the Sasquatch peeking in the window. So that's kind of a funny meme that goes around also. When it's colder weather, people will pass along. So that also kind of inspired this segment. So me and Brian Terrell were talking, and he, he brought up the point that, well, I mean... If deer can be out in the cold and survive, why not a Sasquatch? I mean, look look at a deer. They have their thickness of fur, and it, it protects them. So if they're able to, you know, be out there in the coldest of cold when it's, you know, two weeks of ice and snow in Oklahoma, then the Sasquatch should be able to. And anywhere in the country where that's going on, they should be able to survive, right? So I thought that was really interesting because when I think of a deer, I don't think of a deer having the thickest of winter a winter fur a winter coat i mean they do have one but i think of like a buffalo or something bigger uh having like you know more fur or something to protect them from the cold 
But yeah, that's that's true. I mean, deer are out all the time in the elements, and if their little thin, you know, winter coat is keeping them protected, then why not Sasquatch? So I had to look into this a little bit. I like to dig in and, and learn a little bit more details about this kind of stuff. So I wanted to go a little bit further with this. So like I said, Oklahoma's been having a pattern of heavy snowstorms and ice during a two-week period in February. Other states are even worse than Oklahoma, okay? So that's kind of why we're talking about this today. So how do the Sasquatch survive? Okay, so let's take a deeper look here. So I got this off of a quick five-minute Google search about the deer and how wide or how thick is their fur. How do deer keep from freezing in the winter? They also shed their summer coats in fall and longer, thicker fur grows in to replace it. The fur in a deer's winter coat is hollow, which allows air to be trapped. The trapped air makes it easier for the deer to retain its body heat, according to the National Wildlife Federation. Okay, so that was off of Google, a quick five-minute Google search. And then I searched, how many layers of fur does a deer have? White-tailed deer have two different coats of hair during the year. The gray winter coat is comprised of longer guard hairs and a soft woolly under fur that provide insulation from the cold. This thicker winter coat is shed prior to the hot summer months. Okay, so exactly how, what is the thickness of a, you know, how many inches deep is a winter coat for a deer? So the answer I got off the internet was 0.2 inches to 1.1 inches deep. Winter coats have important thermoregulatory qualities and allow deer to survive northern winters. Winter coats can range from 0.2 to 1.1 inches deep. This is five to six times deeper than summer coats. Hair depth is critical for survival because deeper coats trap more insulating air. Okay, and then I wanted to know, okay, so what is the actual coldest temperature that a deer can survive? Because I think this is so interesting, because like I said, I don't think of deer as having the biggest winter coat, and you know, they're out there surviving just fine. So what is the coldest temperature a deer can survive? For one, their bodies store extra fat to provide insulation and help them through the cold months ahead. In addition, they grow an extremely dense undercoat with hollow guard hairs that provide exceptional insulation. Thanks to these adaptations, deer can survive in temperatures up to 30 degrees below zero. Wow, okay, so negative 30. So now, after thinking about the deer, I wanted to check on some other animals and what their limitations are in the cold weather and, and that kind of thing. So, so I was looking into other animals with thick coats of fur to survive winter. There's this great article on the internet. I'll try to provide a link in the description of the video. nwtrek.org slash animals keeping warm in their winter coats. So I got a lot of info from that article. Okay, so this article is called Keeping Warm in Their Winter Coats. And it talks about wolverines, talks about gray wolves, talks about black bears, and also talks about bison. Okay, so it's a great article. Uh, I'll try to provide a link in the description of the video. Go check that out.
Okay, so now, here's a musk oxen. Okay? Musk oxen can cope with sub-zero temperatures as low as minus 40 degrees Celsius. So, I had to look that up. Minus 40 degrees Celsius is also minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So, minus 40, negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, musk oxen can survive. They are covered in warm wool, which is eight times warmer than regular sheep wool. Musk oxen can survive on very little food. Okay, another animal that I found on the internet that can survive very well in cold weather, walruses. Walruses can withstand even cooler temperatures. They have been observed at negative 35 degrees Celsius or negative 31 degrees Fahrenheit. In cold water, blood is shunted inward as blood vessels in the skin constrict, reducing heat loss to the environment. Thanks to special adaptations such as a thick layer of blubber, two layers of fur, compact ears, and a small tail, polar bears can withstand temperatures as low as negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So they can do it all the way to negative 50. Pretty impressive. The Arctic fox is an incredibly hardy animal that can survive frigid Arctic temperatures as low as negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit in the treeless lands where it makes its home. So now we're at negative 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Very, very impressive. Okay, and here's another animal on my list here. Reindeer. Reindeer come from the Ice Age. They are used to surviving in temperatures as low as negative 70 degrees Celsius, or that converts to negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Evolution has made sure that they pass the test when it comes to survival. Their fur is dense, and each individual hair is so robust that the animal is optimally insulated in these cold and icy conditions. So that is very, very impressive. So those are just a few animals that can survive in cold, cold temperatures that can go even more than, than the deer could at negative 30 degrees. Now let's think about the Sasquatch. So if they're, you know, part human, you know, Neanderthal, are they, you know, part primate, are they half and half, whatever. So I started to think, okay, what about primates? How do primates stay warm in colder temperatures? And so this was just from a quick five-minute Google search. I didn't go totally down a long road on this one. But how do monkeys keep warm in the winter? So I thought this was pretty interesting. During the winter, temperatures on Shodoshima Island in Japan drop to freezing. Japanese macaques, or snow monkeys, have a unique way of dealing with the chilly weather. Balls of monkeys are formed when a group of five or more huddle to share body heat and keep warm. Okay, so, I thought this was really interesting. So this is a, a strategy that these Japanese monkeys, these snow monkeys in Japan use. They get in little pods of five or six, and they huddle up, and they keep warm when it gets to be freezing. Somewhere or another, if the Sasquatch are out there and they're surviving, they're, they've either adapted like these other animals from the list, and their hair keeps them warm, can survive up to whatever degrees Celsius or degrees Fahrenheit in the cold, and so maybe, you know, they're going to migrate to areas where their bodies can take it. Maybe that's a reason why they do travel up and down throughout the country. Okay, that'd be a great reason. Okay, so they know their limitations. So they're probably fine when it's freezing cold out. They've moved, to, they've moved on to somewhere 
where their bodies can take it. So their hair probably insulates them to a good degree and they're staying warm. Okay, another thing is maybe they take this idea if they are in a family group, like some people say they travel in family groups, maybe they do something along the lines of the snow monkeys in Japan. They huddle up in pods of five or six, use all their body heat together to stay warm. So just a couple of things to think about. What do you think about all this? Please write in. You can comment on YouTube. You can comment on... You can comment anywhere you're listening on the podcast. You can email me. I'd like to hear your thoughts about this topic. Very, very good stuff. I'll leave it at one more thing. So I started out as an entertainer where I dressed up as a Bigfoot, and I do have a Sasquatch costume. And I'll tell you a little story. So one year... The town I live in has a Christmas parade every year. I got invited by one of the local businesses of the town to like wear a t-shirt of the of that shop, of that store, and dress up as Bigfoot and walk around at the parade with their float. So I probably walked a total of two miles, I'll just say two miles. And this year during the Christmas parade, it was probably, it, the temperatures were in the teens Fahrenheit. I'll say like 15 degrees. So very, very cold for the area where I live. That's that's cold for us. Usually every year at the Christmas parade when I'm not involved, being Sasquatch or wearing the Bigfoot costume, I'm just in my regular coat and my jeans, and I'm cold. If it's, if it's cold out, I'm pretty cold and I'm uncomfortable. Well, I'll tell you this. I had that Bigfoot costume on in negative 15 degree weather, and I was never cold. So when I first got outside, It might have been a little chilly, like felt like fall weather, like a little bit. But once I started moving, and by the end of the two miles, my body heat was so collected up in that suit. That suit kept me so warm, I was like overly hot in the teens weather. If I'm warm in this fur suit, this hairy suit, I mean, they got hair, they're they're staying warm too. Okay, it's a little bit different because I'm in clothes in the suit and all that kind of stuff, and they're not, they're naked under the hair. But I always go back to that, so I found that very interesting. On that particular year when I did the Christmas parade and I walked the two miles along the float as Sasquatch, I was plenty warm. I had no complaints. I was not cold or freezing at all. So I just want to throw that quick little story out there. Now we're going to get into the Bigfoot reports. Once again, please write into the show. Let me know what you think about the topic. Number 1. Man has face-to-face encounter in Mizzou. 2011. Class A, nighttime sighting, and Class B, vocalizations. McDonald County, Missouri, and Adair County, Oklahoma. Date report submitted January 22, 2023. Encounter transcript. Encounter number one. Approximately 10 years ago, month of June, between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., in a state park located in mid-Missouri, we, myself and four other Bigfoot investigators, were out doing a night investigation. I was in front, 15 to 20 feet ahead of the rest of the group. The trail was moonlit. From my right, a Bigfoot stepped out onto a trail approximately six feet directly ahead of me in what appeared to be a deliberate act. He turned and faced me. He was approximately 
nine feet tall, with brown to red hair. He was showing no aggression. There was no vocalization. I had no fear. Follow up, NOBRO investigators report. What were you doing at the time of your encounter? Researching, camping, fishing. Were there other witnesses to this encounter? Second encounter has two other witnesses with Fleer. Briefly describe what you saw and heard. Number one, face to face with nine foot male on a trail, no audio notes. Number two, face to face with female, approximately eight feet tall for four minutes with a growl noted at the end. Do you recall any distinct odor? Not during these encounters, but while hiking. Could you have seen a bear? No, I'm familiar with what a bear looks like. Did you have any prior knowledge of Bigfoot before this encounter? Yes, I am part of a research team. What are your thoughts on Bigfoot after your experience? Witness believes they must have some human DNA. Witness believes they live in family pods. Description of creature. Number one, male, nine foot tall. Number two, female, eight feet tall. Approximate weight, unknown. Color of hair, number one, brown to red hair. Number two, brown to blonde hair. Color of skin, number one, charcoal. Number two, light ebony. Appearance, both healthy. Shape of head, both round. Shape, color of eyes, both large, round and dark. What was the creature doing? Number one, crossing a trail. Paused and faced the observer for two to three minutes. Number two, creature observed approximately 100 yards away on Fleer. Went to observe more closely, came into contact with the creature approximately 10 feet apart. Did the creature make any gestures or vocalizations? Number one, none. Number two, low growl at the end of the encounter. Did you feel threatened or in danger? No, neither time. Assumed observer was being warned. Number two, man comes eye to eye with Bigfoot and communicates while hiking. The following Bigfoot encounter comes from Bigfoot The Real Truth Facebook page. I've never shared this story until recently because it's unbelievable. I was up way north at camp at an undisclosed location and we were doing some orienteering in the woods. Me being a former Boy Scout and knowing how to put red in the shed meant that I'd be the first one to finish. Once I reached the last waypoint, I heard someone in front of me. It sounded like one of my other classmates that were in my group, so I pursued him. The forest is a dense old growth forest. After chasing him with pure joy, thinking he's playing around, I abruptly came to a stop at a small clearing. With my mouth open wide, I met eyes with something that also had its mouth agape in pure bewilderment. He was covered from head to toe in light brown hair, except for his face, ears, hands, and feet. 
I was staring into the biggest brown eyes I'd ever seen. We startled each other. He was over seven feet. As our eyes stared back into each other's, he looked over his shoulder and made a soft primal cry. Out from the woods, on an outcrop behind him, appeared two of the same creatures. As soon as the two saw me, they instantly retreated to the tree line. I instantly got down on my knees, closed my eyes, and folded my hands, and told this being in front of me that I meant no harm, and that it was an honor to be in the presence of something that's been around for thousands of years, longer than the natives. As I opened my eyes and got up, I was shocked to see it hadn't run away and was still looking at me except with a now warm expression on its face. In awe, I stuck my hand out and promised him I wouldn't ever reveal his location. He looked at my hand curiously and grabbed it. His hand was so huge that his fingers extended to my forearm. His nails looked like a human's who had never cut them. I started slowly shaking his arm and he got nervous and suddenly gripped my arm with the other hand. His strength was immense. As he saw the pain on my face and how soft I was gripping his arm, he loosened his grip completely and just stared on at me. Seeing intelligence and the shine in his eyes, I proceeded to introduce myself caveman style. I beat my chest twice and I said, Brady and was floored to hear this creature repeat it after me. I beat on my chest again and then pointed at this creature. He got excited and mimicked me by beating his chest and saying, Ta Reed, in the deepest voice imaginable. I then repeated his words back to him and a shocked smile filled his face. He started grunting like a silverback gorilla to the tree line, and out came the other two creatures. He beat his chest and pointed at me, and as I repeated his name, the other two creatures squealed in amusement. I know this sounds like I have a wild imagination, but time seemed to stand still while I was in his presence. Eventually, I finally heard my friends in my group finally coming around the ridge. So I looked back at my new friend and I gave him a hug goodbye. His light brown hair actually smelled sweet. My head only went to his chest and I was surprised that he actually embraced me and hugged me back. He started patting my back. So I did the same thing to him. Finally, I let go and waved. As I watched him stand there, he turned around and began walking up the bluff behind his family. He then turned back around and waved back at me. I promised him I'd never tell the location. Once in a lifetime experience. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Had to get that off my chest. Number 3. Man Sees Creature While Riding Motorcycle The following report comes from Encounters with Bigfoot Facebook page. 
I have been asked by family members to not give out the location of this because it's on private property. About eight or more years ago, I was riding my dirt bike to the small lake near our property outside of North Bay, near Lake Nasponsing. I went down the trail where it spills to go around the one side of the lake or go down the hill to the lake. I'm 55 years old, 6'6", 245 pounds. When I ride, I have my riding gear on. All black helmet, goggles, neck protector, chest protector, shirt, pants, and boots. So I'm going down the hill to the lake, and at one point, you have to drive up some angled rocks to go down. I go over the angled rocks, and that's when I see a big black thing near a big tree. At first, I thought it was a black bear, but it was digging in the dirt with a stick. So I give my bike some throttle to scare it a bit to get it to leave. That's when it turns around and stands up on two legs, eight feet tall, 850 to 900 pounds, all black except it's got some green moss on the right side of its face, from the eyes to the ear. I think to myself, okay, some weird guy dressed up in a very convincing Bigfoot suit in the middle of the brush in August at around 9 a.m. It tilted its head and began sniffing the air, and then opened its mouth and took a huge breath. That's when I saw into its mouth and I saw the deer-like teeth and its black tongue. It was 30 to 40 feet away, downhill from me, face to face with me. I can only imagine what it thought I was dressed up in with all my riding gear. At this point, when I saw into its mouth, I thought to myself, they're going to find my body and my head will be gone. So I thought of pinning the throttle and letting go of the dirt bike in its direction and run screaming the other way. Don't know if it was pure terror that I didn't move or if it was that I wanted to know if this thing that is 30 feet away is real or not. So I stayed put, didn't move. It continued to sniff the air as it looked at me. It began to shift its weight from one foot to the other and sway back and forth while sniffing the air. I looked at how the pads at the bottom of its feet would compress a lot when he puts full weight on its feet. Huge hands that almost touched its knees in length. Huge muscular forearms and huge shoulders. Thick and muscular throughout the chest area and huge thick thigh muscles medium length. Black hair covered most of its body, except the hands, feet, and face area huge nose and big brow area, short neck, and the worst bad body odor and bog water smell ever. It continued to look at me for about 45 seconds and more before it took three huge strides. The last one looked like it used its hands to help move so fast and with hardly any sound into the bush to the right of me. I parked the bike, shut it off, took off my helmet and went to see where it went. I saw where it went and followed it for 30 to 40 yards and got a really bad feeling and the hair on the back of my neck stood up 
and I got even a stronger smell of the bad B.O. and got the hell out of there and went back to my cottage to tell everyone what I had saw and to change my pants. They didn't believe me until I showed them the footprint it left when it slipped on some moss-covered rocks before going into the bush. With the help of Sibylla, we have come up with a drawing of what it looked like, and we put it on a picture of where I had my encounter and to show how close it was to me and roughly its size. First photo of me in my riding gear. Second photo, its face. Yes, there are no ears on the photo, but it did have ears. Third photo is what it looked like in body shape and mass. And the last photo is where it was when I saw it. <laughs>